Welcome to CityCast, the Smart Cities podcast from CityVerve. In each instalment, we tackle the issues faced by smart cities in the UK and further afield, as well as providing an update on all things CityVerve. Hello, I'm Vicky de Blasi, and you're listening to the final episode of our two-part CityCast finale. In part one, MSP's Rowena Burns, Cisco's Nick Chrysos and Mark Duncan of Manchester City Council reflected on the past two years of CityVerve, considering the highs and lows, successes and unanticipated challenges of this mammoth project. But CityVerve was never meant to be something that just happened. A big part of what we set out to explore with the project was the question of what happens next. For Manchester, for the CityVerve consortium and its many partners, for smart cities and for all the innovative solutions the project has birthed. So without further ado, let's pick up where we left off with Rowena, Nick and Mark. It seems that if CityVerve has been one thing, it's definitely been a learning experience. So the big question is, what happens now? What can we do with everything that we've learned on the project? Nick, I'm going to come to you first on this one. I mean, there are there are many outcomes that they uh, came out of the of the project from the technology point of view, from the partnership, uh, from the lessons learned, from the governance. Uh, um, there are there are many things that we can we can really we can really take take with us. Some of the some of the elements that uh, I feel were really eye openers in in the project was this um, impact that uh, really the uh, the technology and the architecture that we put together had in the business element of the partners. Um, at the beginning, when we spoke about connecting the unconnected and building the platform of platforms and uh, breaking the silos, uh, the the major thing that we didn't realize, and I think nobody has realized in any of the uh, of the of the projects until we really make the reality, is that we break also the value chain of uh, of all the partners. Uh, one of the things that came out, I think, of the project is that you cannot just break the silos. You need to build new commercial models of how you do this together. So when we are looking into uh, what are we going to take in the future, I think uh, I think this is a is a lesson that we couldn't have known unless we actually have done it. And Cityverve can be the one that really has has shown it of how how it materializes itself. So so this element of the of the need to create new business models moving forward to make smart cities of the future real and possible is is a critical outcome, I think, of the project. Yeah, absolutely. And Mark, I'm wondering if there's anything that you wanted to kind of add on to that in terms of sitting in a council perspective and thinking about procurement potentially of these sorts of solutions and services, if mm. what Nick says there kind of resonates with you. Mm. There's, there's certainly learnings which will... Um, have an impact within the city council and within the other city partners after city verve some challenges around procurement some challenges around data and data privacy and curation of data and the value of data and whether there is a different model for the city to be driving more the collection of data and the infrastructure of collection of data and taking that away from what we currently have, which is private partners installing sensors and bringing solutions and maybe a stronger case emerging around cities taking ownership of installation and maintenance of that infrastructure Mm -hmm. in a way that best helps it gain value for the city. 
in terms of how that would manifest itself in the city of Manchester and hopefully this would be an example um, a helpful example for other cities is that we are with the help of the city verse steering committee starting on a journey to produce a digital strategy for the city not just for the city council but for our public and private partners which is directly born out of the city verve experience and we've started that back in march with a workshop with um, elected members at the council Mm -hmm. and partners from the city verve steering committee and we hope before the end of 2018 that that digital strategy for Manchester is complete and it shows amongst other things it shows the private sector what we want and how to do business with us which is something which we've learned from City Verve it's challenging and you turn up in a city and if you try and sell the city what you think it needs you're in for quite a rocky sure. ride much yeah. better to come and provide it the solutions that it needs rather than the tech products that it needs yeah absolutely um and rowena wondering what what your thoughts are on this can i actually pick up where mark left off yeah of course which is you know digital infrastructure is as important as the national highway infrastructure it Mm -hmm. is as important as our public transport infrastructure as the sewage system that runs beneath our streets the water system that feeds our buildings and i don't think we have begun to understand how digital infrastructure needs to be owned, managed and developed and funded in the future, um, either as cities or, or nationally. And for me, a huge lesson in this, not lesson, but a pointer for the future, is that governments and city administrations need to work on this as a problem. Mm. And actually, they need to work on it with industry um, because industry have got to be the solution to that problem. So that's my biggest single takeaway. I could add another one, which is around the ownership of intellectual property. Yes. In a world where digital infrastructure is is making open innovation both valuable and necessary. And that poses kind of immense tensions, really, uh, commercial tensions uh, between innovators and businesses uh, and the consumers of of data and the consumers of what they produce for other purposes and to create other opportunities. I mean, I think it's far more upside than downside, but I don't think we've thought it through in the timescale that we had for this project. Mm-hmm. It's something we'd like to continue working on as part of the legacy to this project. Um, but I think there are lessons in that for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And Nick, I'm wondering whether, I suppose, as the sort of uh, private sector representative in the room, whether there's anything that you kind of wanted to add building on sort of Mark and Rowena's points there around kind of data specifically. It is mainly on on Mark's point, the role that the the city can play or the role that government can play into this. One thing that we we uh, let's say uncovered with the, with the project is that as as everybody knows you know uh, data is is very valuable but nobody knows how much nobody knows the, the 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 different types of data is is immediate data more valuable than delayed data mm. is a year delayed data more valuable than immediate data because they also involve storage there is no way of really putting a real value in the data and then again the compliance the the ability to be aligned align with the with the regulations and to be able to provide the data to get the amazing solutions uh, and, and and the whole kind of
kind of economy, the whole chain that you need to put in place for this to work. These are things that they were uncovered through the project. These are things that were not ready yet to to, to play there. And if anything, uh, coming from the private sector, being able to come to a city and propose something in a way that makes uh, financial sense to the city, it's something that I think we haven't cracked it yet. And it's something that we need we need to work. Yeah. Uh, still proposing uh, solutions based on as a service or based on a, on a bill of materials or, or any kind of proposal like that at the moment doesn't really, doesn't really stand. Sharing revenue models and uh, new ways of, uh, of thinking about integrating and about creating solutions. These are all things that we need to to focus in the future. And this project, if anything else, made it more uh, visible to us that we need to focus, yeah, Yeah. more apparent. So data definitely then sits in the category of of more work required. Um, In light of what we've talked about and the lessons that have been learned from CityVerve, are there any other challenges that you think that future smart city projects should be focusing on? I think I've talked before, if not on this podcast and previous ones, about citizen-centric design. Yeah. And I, we did some very interesting work with City Verve in trying to, to, to ensure that the innovations that our partners were producing were led by need and were designed kind of by citizens for citizens, if you like. And we didn't really do much more than scratch the surface of that incredibly mm. interesting and important topic. And I think for Mark and colleagues, particularly in the city council and, and, in, and in other cities, actually developing mechanisms for engaging citizens much more actively very, very early on mm. in discussion about the opportunity for service reform created as a result of, of digital um, is, a, I think, a challenge that we all need to rise to. I think some cities do that a lot better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the things that I would like to do as Manchester is actually to understand what the best cities in the world are doing and introduce some of those practices here, but also feed our experience um, into cities elsewhere, um, nationally and internationally too. Uh, Nick Marks, we've got Citizen Centric, we've got data. Anything else that you would like to add onto the list of things for other cities to consider? Following on from Rowena's point, um, the City Council's community strategy, the Our Manchester strategy, is built around that approach. Um, the two things have developed almost in parallel City Verve and the City Council's Our Manchester strategy. But it, it's a slightly different take on citizen engagement, and it is about starting from points of strength and talking to our citizens about what's good, mm-hmm. what they like about things, mm. not what's wrong with your yeah. place, what's wrong with your life, which is often, so often, what the public sector engagement with individuals is, yeah. is what's wrong, what's the problem, what can we do to what solve it? And the City Council is really committed to changing that conversation That's to be what's good, mm. what makes you happy, what are the things that could be better in your life, in your community, in your school, and how can we change it, but always starting from a question of what's good before we talk about what we need to change so that's something i think a 
alongside the human-centered design yeah. work that we've done that would we'll be really exciting really to explore that further yeah, definitely and nick anything further from you it, it was not there was no template for us to really base on what we did in the project uh, we had to create our own templates our own format of how we we take this information you know having for an opinion from a citizen somehow find its way into a definition of a, of, of a solution in a technology is not uh, is not straightforward uh, the information does not flow does not really come into an engineer from from somebody's opinion so we had to develop a whole methodology of how do we take somebody's opinion and we convert that into a use case that finds its way into a, a major deployment like like cityverf so uh, these are some of the things that we need to expose these are some of the things that we need to show out there and uh, it, it was a very pioneering kind of thinking there I mentioned in a number of speeches uh, how how challenging this was and the example that I give is that taking somebody who started using the bus just last month with somebody who's been running the buses for the last 30 years to respect each other's opinion on the same table yeah. it's much more challenging than people think uh, it, it can happen so for us to be able at the end to end up with something that it can be given to an engineer to develop in order to to bring something on the street it's uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a major achievement Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, the cynical view of this, I suppose, is that people don't know what they don't know. So you're asking somebody to comment on something they know nothing about. And I think one of the things that stood out for me with City Verve is that Yes, we did a lot of work around this at the beginning, but actually it was an iterative process that, you know, future everything, we're engaging citizens as use cases are being brought online, as things are being developed and delivered. And I think perhaps that's something that it's worth mentioning as well, that that sort of is not something you do once and think, yes, we've ticked the box and that's complete. It's that ongoing sort of iterative process. I guess, Mark, that kind of comes back to what you were saying about that kind of ongoing conversation of having with citizens and starting from that point of positivity, I think is a really interesting one. So we've talked a lot already about internal communications. One of the things we haven't tackled yet is communications externally to those people within a city who are essentially consuming a, a smart city solutions and services. I'm wondering what advice you might have to other smart city projects on that external communication challenge. Plan it as you would any other aspect of the project. Mm-hmm. So it is integral to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a communication strategy that is known and shared right from the outset. I think use effective communication channels where they already exist. Mm. Don't seek to reinvent the wheel. Keep sense checking and road testing what you're putting out in external comms with the consumers of it. Yes. Is it yeah. saying, what, is it, what are it the messages that are being heard or the messages that you want to be heard? Yeah. And don't be shy of both shouting about success and achievement and being open and honest about learnings that maybe aren't so yes, successful because we're in a world where learning is critical. Things are changing so fast. Nobody has a monopoly of wisdom Absolutely. and knows all the answers. So try to treat external communication as part of an ongoing dialogue mm-hmm. rather than a talking at. No, fantastic advice. Thank you, Rowena. Uh, Nick and Mark, coming to you on your kind of thoughts on this. I suppose, Nick, maybe if I come to you first and you know, you're looking at other other projects that, that we take on from a Cisco perspective and maybe how we've approached comms quite differently from CityVerve than we perhaps have in other, other projects. It is. I, I have to say the, the comms aspect in most of the projects is either treated as something on the side 
or is nowhere. Is nowhere really mm. planned at the beginning, and everybody almost assumes we're going to do some comms out there. Having uh, decided in Cityverb very early on to put a, a permanent resource as, a, as the, the comms lead of the project, to have a committee, uh, a, comms, a comms group that really provide all the input and the interface to all the different partners, having a process of how we evaluate the message that we're going to put out, and also having the, the metrics to measure the impact that we're having out there is, is very unique to Cityverve. It was something that it was very much criticized from our, you know, from Innovate UK and from DCMS from the beginning. It was something that we had to fight almost through the whole two years into, into something that we needed. And uh, if I give to any, any advice to any other big major project like Cityverve in the future, I would tell them that, that comms is a key part of the project. It has to be there and it cannot be a, a hobby on the side. It cannot be a, a, you know, a, an evening job for somebody. It has to be a dedicated resource that really focuses on how do you message the project and what do you say out there. And, um, and, and if anything, you can call it whatever you like, uh, marketing, dissemination information, branding. Uh, you need all of it. You need all of it because you are going to be at the end criticized on how much people know about the project and how much, uh, you know, how, how much really impact you've made. And comps is a major part of this. You can do the most amazing use case. If nobody knows about it, nobody will ever really adopt it. And this is critical. People have to understand that this is part of any kind of demonstrator, any kind of, of this kind of research project. You need to have the a proper comps element in there. Yeah, dissemination, I think, is the key word in there. Mm. Um, take comms and, and just flip it into dissemination and in research and innovation. If it happens in isolation in one corner of the country or one corner of Europe or one corner of the globe, it's not going to change things to the extent that we want to change things. Yeah, absolutely. It's so really important to get the message out there. And it was good to see on City Verve, having worked um, with the City Council on a number of Horizon programmes, Horizon 2020 through the EU, always a requirement that you have a dedicated comms team in there for exactly that reason, yeah. to spread the message as far and wide as you possibly can. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things we've talked about today as well has been the importance of citizen engagement. And I think one of the things that we've done um, with great success on the comm side is uh, recruited quite early on a team of citizen journalists, people who came from all walks of different walks of life within Manchester and got them to kind of experience, meet with partners, test our solutions, test our apps, go on walking tours and then write about it. And I think that's been extremely valuable in terms of, you know, direct feedback that the partners have had. But actually, you know, from a coming back to the kind of facts and figures and metrics you were talking about, Nick, if I look at our um, blog stats, the citizen journalist created content is always by far and, and, and away the most the most read post. So I think it's that's a real tool that can be used to, to do that citizen sort of centric and engagement piece in there as well, which I think is perhaps an interesting sort of side fringe benefit, if you like, that perhaps you wouldn't necessarily think at the beginning but is another way of how that can be really useful that's important i think and it's something we've talked about haven't we in steering committee so much comms on this type of project can be aimed at the conference venue yes and the yeah. the speaking and keynotes etc etc and we've tackled that through yeah. citizen journalists through some of the events we've been running on the project of taking it out to the the unusual audiences, yes. the audiences further away from the topic, which is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. 
So one of the things that, uh, Mark, you've definitely be, done a lot of over the last two years is is engaging with other cities around the world. We've had Wuhan in China. We've had Adelaide in Australia. I'm sure there's lots of others that you, you, you've been talking to over the last two years. Um, I'm interested to know if um, or how some of the lessons that we've learned and potentially the solutions that we've created within CityVerve could be applied to some of those other smart city developments or indeed if there are any conversations happening to suggest that they may well be applied in. It's one of the advantages I think of having CityVerve based in Manchester is Manchester was born as a global city in the Industrial Revolution and and a lot of our economy is built on, has been built um, over the last 200, 300 years around our international collaborations. So it's it's a good shop window for these solutions. Um, I think going back to what Rowena was mentioning about the role of cities and the importance of digital and data in this, in, in the 21st century, we went on a delegation to Adelaide. We were part of a, an EU project called World Cities and we had a year collaboration with Adelaide and the chief digital officer in Adelaide said exactly the same as what you just said. <laughs> the role for local government in the 19th century was sewerage and clean water. In the 20th century, it was broadly around transport infrastructure, roads, airports, etc. In the 21st century, it's all about the digital infrastructure. That's a city on the other side of the world yeah. with broadly the same sets of challenges that we've got. If you go to China, they're on a, a different part of the trajectory, yeah. but they're heading in the same direction of having lots of the urban challenges that we've been dealing with. So there's so much, and Nick will know this from the role that you've got and the global role that you've got, there is so much that brings modern large cities together and common features that we can build on. Yeah, I mean, from 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 my side... Let me, let me give you some some numbers from 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 our from our side that we have we have seen before the involvement in the project before before CityVerve started in Cisco we were nowhere in smart cities um, last year I did 18 keynotes on uh, on smart cities there is no smart city v- event in Europe today that uh, we don't have a, either a keynote or a major speaking slot. And it's all about uh, CityVerve and it's all about the the partnership. It's all about the 130 different business scenarios that we, we put together. So people are, are um, astounded about the, the size of the project. They're astounded with the use cases. They're, they're, they're really, um, uh, really astounded from how we merge the different themes together. And they all want to know about it. There are 400 projects in China at the moment in smart cities. Wow. And uh, uh, the the amount of uh, emails and and questions that we get on use cases that we used in in CityVerve mm-hmm. that they would love to replicate, and even the offers to go and run some of these projects mm-hmm. there, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's really a, a testament to how impactful the project has been, and um, also to what Mark was saying that every city has the same problems. We we put uh, 138. Be more specific, uh, business scenarios together, which were pretty much the, the 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 variations of each use case of the sixteen use cases that we put in the project, and uh, almost all of them, all of them, can be replicated in every city around the world. So this is this is this is this is key to know the the global nature of this industry and the global nature of the challenges that we all face reinforces the need for us to think and act globally in in this country and you know at the danger of saying something political here 
I think it is vital as the UK approaches its departure from the European Union that actually we seek to maintain the most open borders with not just Europe but with the rest of the world um, and open our arms to both learning from other parts of the world yes. but collaborating um, through projects that will have to be funded differently in future and creating opportunities for our smaller businesses as well as our major corporates to learn from experience elsewhere and Absolutely. and to sell into other cities experience and innovation that has been developed in the UK. It's so important mm. to do that. That you've kind of built me up nicely there, Rowena, to the sort of the big difficult question I'd like to pose to you, which is really, you know, when we are thinking about that bigger picture world stage, where does City Verve now lead leave the smart cities industry as a whole? I, I can talk about the, the technology side of it. Yeah. Um the platform platforms for, for us is not not only for us as Cisco, but BT also, we are we're working together to make it into a a real product. Uh, we we are we are really focusing into taking all the things that we learned, to take all the the requirements that we gathered in the last two years, and converting that into a proper city platform. Mm. Um, taking into 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 consideration the requirements about compliance and regulations, but also in the commercialization requirements that we just talked before about the, the challenges of moving forward, and providing the technology. To be able to do it, so so th this for us has been a, a, a learning curve the last two years, and we are seeing this as a as a huge potential of uh, really changing the seeds of the future based on what we developed here. Not only as a as a as a commercial only opportunity for Cisco or BT or for other people there, because our intellectual property is is a bit uh, is, is it's open to be honest on that, how it was in the in the project. It's it's more about uh, really providing a solution to a problem that every city has. And not, not only city. I have to say the platform platforms at the moment has been evaluated by airports, has been evaluated by major manufacturers around the world, uh, by almost everybody that has things that they need to be connected and they've never been connected before. But, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's a real privilege to, to use now this, this project as a, as a beacon to show what, what is possible. So. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. So we've talked a lot here today about how what we've done in Manchester can be applied to other places in the UK and, and you know, to your point, Mark, across the world. Do you think that collectively as a consortium in terms of maybe, maybe not so much what we've done, but how we've done it, there are learnings that can be applied to other projects, other IoT initiatives that, that aren't city specific. Absolutely. I mean, City Verve was designed to be scalable and replicable. Mm. And as we discuss now, both within the partnership, but also with uh, partners in London, uh, where we go next mm. with City Verve, a part of what we will be thinking very hard about actually is how we develop those learnings, not simply into Internet of Things projects, but actually into how we work in such partnerships in, in the future. Because there's real richness in that, yeah. Yeah, real richness in that. And just not to lose the point as well, actually, I think some of the individually brilliant innovations that have been developed that we've touched on before yeah. um, through the project, we're working with those owners now to broaden out their application, to continue the demonstration where it's still in demonstration mode mm. um, so that they can be brought through into wider commercial use and application. Fantastic. So 
Now moving on to something a little more lighthearted. One of the things that we always ask our guests on CityCast is what their one must-have feature would be if they were given a blank canvas to design their ideal city. So it seems only right that I give all of you the chance to proffer your own suggestions too. Uh, Rowena, I know you've asked this question of many people in your in your role of host, so I'm going to turn the tables now and come to you first in terms of your, your one must-have feature for your, your perfect city, please. I would use art, music, culture to bring the brilliance of science and technology innovation out into the public space and to animate our cities full of that creative brilliance, both for for beauty, but also to educate, to learn, to amuse and to entertain. Fantastic answer, Nick. Coming around to you. I have to say the the, the art element that uh, that I, I, I you know I'm an engineer and I, I found it very hard at the beginning to I remember to to to, to really um, uh, cope with with the whole concept of using art to engage in a, such a technical project like 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 I saw IoT and uh, I was asked to go and brief the artists uh, at the beginning and I found that very very challenging but also but also very, very enlightening, you know, enlightening yeah. on, on, on the point of, of, of seeing the amazing proposals that came forward. And I have to say the art installation, the first art installation that we did with the, with the, with the boards and the, and the random poems from IoT data, uh, it has now been, uh, been, been copied from, from, many, from many other, uh, other projects in many other cities. And it has been seen as a, as a best practice in, in engaging people. It is, it, is, it is creating all these questions about, uh, about how the city becomes smarter and how you bring everything together. So it is, it is. I have to say, from my side, it's also a very favorite, uh, favorite element. But if I was going to put like a, one more different, it was the the visualization that we that we did in the feature. And companies like Clicks and Links, the Ordon Survey Maps, and the the visualization wall that we created in the in the in my idea in the in the Bright Building. It's uh, they they are they're a must for a city in the future. Being able to visualize your data in the most uh, comprehensive and possible way, uh, it's, it's critical. There, there were many ideas that they actually sp- were sparked out of being able to see uh, and bring this data together, bringing lighting data with crime data on the same table and see what is the link between them, bringing uh, you know pollution with traffic and uh, and healthcare on the same table. These are all elements that, if you are able to visualize it, you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of new ideas. So if I was going to recommend to any city, the first thing to do is is connect everything together and visualize as much as you can before you start even dreaming about what's possible. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you, Nick. And- and uh, Mark, your utopian city, what's your one must-have feature? It has to be public transport. As a long-suffering commuter <laughs> in a part of the country that has been neglected somewhat in terms of transport infrastructure, seamless multimodal public transport where people want to cycle and walk and public transport's the first choice because it's easy, reliable and cheap. Fantastic. A nice uh, cross-section of ideas there. So, Mark, it sounds like yours is very much driven by personal experience. (laughs) I'm wondering whether your answers you think have changed as a result of the City Vote project. If I'd asked each of you this two years ago, do you think you'd have given the same same answers? That is a difficult question. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think think you're right. Uh, It would have been very different. For sure, 
art will not have been Wouldn't have part, featured, of the, no. <laughs> part of the list of something that we need to do to, to showcase uh, or to engage people into, into the project. Um, and uh, the value of visualization that I mentioned before, again, it would not have been my first choice. It would have been something much more technical, much more, um, you know, much more oriented to, 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 you know, a futuristic way of thinking of a city. What we realized through the project is that making things simpler, making things easier, making things safer, making things faster, what Mark mentioned before about, you know, a, a reliable, you know, very effective transportation is what, what people are looking for. That's, that's the priority and not the technology from my side. I'd like to answer that question slightly differently, actually. Two years ago, yes, I would definitely have said that art can bring science mm. to life for me in a way that other things can't. And I didn't make the connection at the time, and I don't think there is one. But when I was 12 and started grammar school and went to my first chemistry class, the first thing that we were asked to do was to draw a Bonson burner. Oh, really? I'm hopeless at science. I'm even worse at art. <laughs> and it's a source of complete wonder to me that all these years later, they come together. Oh, how fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Mark, yours just sounds like it's driven from years it, of long-term suffering. It probably would be the same, except yeah. now I've got a much better understanding of how digital how and IoT could contribute to that vision. Fantastic. Um, and would really like to see what we've laid the foundations for to, to keep driving change. Brilliant, thank you. And that, I'm afraid, is all we have time for this month and for this series. We've had a huge amount of fun putting together all of the various CityCast episodes, from our very first with Caroline Gorski and Ian Kennedy in conversation, right up to this extended discussion of the project's legacy and future. Throughout the course of this podcast, I found myself taking a tour of Manchester assisted by a virtual tour guide, listened to songs inspired by the city's many tram stops, picked apart the vital ingredients of a functioning city utopia with a whole host of experts, and of course, consigned plenty of jargon to our virtual room 101. Thanks to everyone who's been a guest on the show, and a big thank you to all of the hundreds of people for tuning in each month. We hope you've enjoyed listening in as much as we've enjoyed recording each episode. And if you've not listened to all of the other episodes in the series to date, then what are you waiting for? There's no time like the present to start exploring the future.